0: Welcome and thanks for joining us for this episode of the C3 Church podcast. You're about to listen into a message from one of our gatherings. To find out more about our community, where we gather both in person and online, and how to get involved, head to c3church.ca. Now, let's listen into a message from a recent service. I, lo- I love this. Uh, I love this story that we're dealing with here today. The the uh, Luke chapter two. I'm not going to read it all again. We've already read it. But I, I actually want to preach to you. I want to talk to you today from, from this story that, uh, that uh, um, Taylor read earlier, Luke chapter 2, 8 to 20. I, and I want to talk about it just for a few I just, I just want to talk about it kind of in a general sense to begin with. But then I want to key in on one particular verse. But just in, in, a, in a general sense, I, I want us to understand that this story, Luke chapter 2, this is a story about an extraordinary announcement to very ordinary people. This is, this is the angels coming to a group of very, very ordinary people. I don't know if you realize it, but Mary and Joseph were pretty ordinary. There was nothing profound about Mary and Joseph. In fact, there is no resume. There is no curriculum. There's no uh, uh, great pedigree in Mary and Joseph's life. Joseph was a carpenter. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with carpenters, lots of carpenters in the room. We appreciate the carpenters doing all the work in the buildings in all of our buildings. We appreciate the carpenters. But let's be honest, carpentry isn't exactly one of those celebrity vocations. Joseph was a carpenter. And and here they were in this story. They're here, they're they're having to go to Bethlehem to register for a census. Bethlehem was it was Joseph's ancestral city, and, and uh, you know the the interesting thing in the Bible. It says that they, if we read it here, it says they 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 were they were staying in. It almost sounds like they're staying in a barn. I, I mean, the word "in" here is actually not quite translated right. It's probably better translated as guest room. When they got to there, if you understand that uh, Joseph got to Bethlehem and he had relatives there, that's because that's where he was from. Uh, which you know, you tend to have relatives where you come from. And uh, he got there and he wanted to stay, and they were planning to stay in the guest room, but somebody got there before them. Never had that happen at Christmas time, have you? I mean, we got family stuff going on at Christmas time. We're trying to figure out how many uh, blow up mattresses we need. Uh, and so we need 13, <laughs> apparently. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh, But, so Joseph and Mary show up in this very ordinary thing. They're just visiting their friend. They're visiting their family. they got to be there. They're looking for the guest room. There is no guest room available. And so the Bible tells us that they end up staying in the same part of the building that the cows and the cattle and the the animals were housed in. Now, that sounds really weird to us as North Americans, because I don't know about you, but you don't, I I don't have any uh, cattle living next door to my house. Like, there's no cattle in one of the rooms of my house, I mean, there's, there as the kids were growing up, there were some pigs, but no. <laughs> just kidding, uh, there, there, no cattle, no no cattle. Interesting. Just before COVID hit, my wife and I had the privilege to be in uh, in Switzerland, and we were I was preaching at church, and we went to visit a couple who had had lived with us in Revelstoke for a while, and. Uh, they were, they were so excited because they wanted to show us their, the house. This is the family home that they were inheriting. And they wanted to convert it to an event space. And so we got this very beautiful, this gorgeous house, two stories, uh, living quarters on top, uh, the, the kitchen, everything else here was really, really cool. It was all up to date, all modern, all this. And then they took us around to the side of the house and showed us the entrance where the ramp went up into what would have been the attic, which was the, the hay barn. On top of the house, you could drive a tractor up there. In fact, they, they were going to convert that space to a, a banquet hall. I mean, it was big; it was bigger than all the, uh, all of our rental space here, and that was on top of the house. Oh well, that's kind of weird. How many of you guys have a hay barn? Anybody online? You got a hay barn on the top in your attic? How many of you checked lately? You know. Uh, so they, they had all these hay, these bales of hay, and all this stuff up there, and they parked the equipment up there. And then we went back downstairs, and and right next to the main entrance to the house, you went in the side door, like it was, here's the main door, here's the side door, and that was where the cattle were. It was like, this is so weird. I know Interior Health would not approve this. I I, I know that uh, my wife would never live in this. You know, but right there next to the house was where the cattle were, and so really what happened is Joseph and Mary, they showed up, and they said, look, we don't have any other room here, but you're still under the roof. You're still in the same house. You're still with us. We'll just set up space for you here, and then, you know, of course, then the manger comes in, and, you know, the baby's all wrapped up in cloth, and you know, it's interesting. We we sometimes we go, hey, you know that that manger, that's a cool deal. No, that's just an IKEA hack. You know, that's just somebody went, hey, we have this, we can use it for something else. I mean, have you ever watched, you ever see those IKEA hacks online? I'm sure this whole websites for it. You know who you are, and uh, you know, <laughs> and you, and and we've checked them all out, and and here, they just walked in. And, oh, that looks perfect. We can make a crib out of this, because that's what around. it's just that IKEA hack. It's nothing unusual it's nothing extraordinary and they said you'll find this baby wrapped up in cloth uh it's it's a little while ago since uh i my wife and i had babies our babies in fact i uh i I just hit a new milestone in life Uh, about a week and a half ago my oldest granddaughter got her n i'm going that i don't know why that matters but you know she was the one that put me into you know uh, the original midlife crisis and now she's done it again and, uh, you know, that's just, it's just a crazy thing. But I do remember when the babies were little that, that one thing I learned, you know, I wasn't very good as a dad. I didn't have babies before. You know, the thing about being parents, for everybody's first-time parent. You know, like, give yourself some grace, by the way. You know, it's, and, and I'm wrapping up these kids. And, and you put the kids and you tuck their arms in, you wrap them up tight so they can't scratch themselves, so their neck is supported. We all did that. We wrapped up our kids tight. That's what everybody did. Sometimes we look at this passage and go, this is really, uh, you know, this is quite a sign. Actually, the sign that the shepherds got was like, just go to an ordinary house and you'll find a brand new baby doing ordinary stuff just like anybody else. Nothing unusual. The sign was the ordinariness of it. It wasn't the sign that it was so unique. It was just ordinary. Joseph and Mary were just... Ordinary people and the shepherds shepherds, you know, I, I I don't know if you've heard this but some Bible commentators They've said they've kind of tried to paint the shepherds as some sort of low-class caste and some lower economic poor people not true Not true, and I'll help you out just a little bit if you're into this um, Most of the commentators go back to a quote by Aristotle, which I think you might kind of find funny He says, uh, Aristotle speaks very negatively. He writes, the laziest are shepherds who lead an idle life and get their subsistence without trouble from tame animals, their flocks wandering from place to place in search of pasture. They're compelled to follow them, cultivating a sort of living farm. Aristotle thought that shepherds were lazy, but that was four centuries before Jesus. Probably not totally relevant. And it was Greek Roman culture, not Jewish culture. Because I don't know if you remember, but the, in, in terms of shepherds in Israel, it's kind of a common theme in the Bible. Like it shows up a lot. In fact, if you, uh, if you go back to the book of Genesis, you'll see that one of the, one of the things that happened is that, uh, is that Joseph was trying to get a place for his family. And uh, he, uh, he said, when you go to Pharaoh, just tell him you're shepherds and they'll give you this land over here away from everybody else? Because he said, your whole whole nation are shepherds. In uh, Genesis 46, 34, it says, you should answer, your servants have tended livestock from our boyhood on, just as our fathers did. Then you'll be allowed to settle in the region of Goshen, for all the shepherds (laughs) are detestable to the Egyptians. Egyptians didn't like shepherds. But the Israelis were all shepherds. King David was a shepherd. Yeah. In, in fact, you know, Jesus used the shepherd as a symbol and a, and a picture yeah. to people there. And they all knew exactly what he was talking about. Right. Shepherd wasn't a lowly thing. Shepherd wasn't a poor thing. Shepherd was like ordinary Joe. Yeah. I mean, he's typical Canadian. Yeah. These shepherds, you know, you ask them, you know, where do you come from? They, they I, You say, where are you going? What are you doing? Well, we're out, out, out in the boat. I don't know how many of my American friends they always ask me, can you say out and about? And I say out and about and say, oh, you don't say it right. No, you got no idea. <laughs> hey, you don't say A. Hey. I know all Canadians say hey. you know, A. And, and, and then they really get me, you know, on the, you know, you're so polite. We got them fooled. <laughs> but you know, the most typical thing I hear when I travel out of the country and they say, oh, we know about Canadians. I'm going to come and visit you. We'll have some Tim Hortons together. (laughs) These shepherds were just ordinary people. They were the kind of people that we're going to see walking down the street here. We're the kind of people that we're going to run into at Tim Hortons. They're the kind of people that are working that average blue-collar job that everybody knew about and everybody appreciated. Because think about it for a minute. What did they sacrifice at the temple? Sheep. This was the major industry in Israel. These were not poor people, nor were they rich people. These were ordinary people. The thing about this whole story, and and this is is the thing that we really need to hear, is that some people have tried to make this story into a story about the poverty, others have tried to make it into a story about rich. Stories about ordinary. This is an extraordinary message to a very ordinary crowd. Kind of like the crowds I kind of walk in. Kind of just people with problems and successes and failures and all those kinds of things. But just ordinary, regular, ordinary people. But it was an extraordinary announcement. The announcement that that the angel made, now that was what was extraordinary. It's actually funny because when you read the when you read the passage and it says that the, the uh, that people uh, were amazed at what the shepherd said, they were not amazed at the, that the shepherd said it. They were amazed at what they said. Right. It's like an extraordinary announcement. Here, the angel came and said, "Here, we're we're announcing the Savior." It's going to help you a little bit into the biblical world for a moment. That word Savior, we know what that means. It's kind of a churchy word for us. But it actually wasn't a churchy word when Jesus was born. Savior was the same word that the people would, or that the the emperors would call themselves. Caesar Augustus considered himself to be the Savior who established peace in Rome. And, And at the very same time, the title... Savior was used in worship of the Roman Emperor Emperor people called and were forced to call Caesar Nero Savior When the angels announced that he was the Savior there was a really really big thing going on here They weren't just saying hey here's somebody that that's coming. That's important. They were saying somebody's here who's bigger than the biggest ruler in the world They were making an announcement that this was the Savior. They were saying, hey, we understand that language. We understand because that's what we call the emperor. That's what we call the big guy in charge. And Jesus came with that announcement. Even the word euangelion, which is in in the story, it's called good news. It's where we get our word evangelist or evangelism. It means good news. But again, that wasn't something unique to this audience. They had heard it before because the Euangelion, that was what was used to in the Roman Empire with a reference to a significant event in the life of the emperor. Here's a good news, something happened with Caesar. Here's the good news, something happened with the emperor. And all of a sudden, this angel comes along and says, I got some good news. Same word. And it's the Savior. And everybody's looking around going, and you're going to find him in an ordinary place. That was shocking. This is an extraordinary announcement to very, very ordinary people. And <laughs> to listen to the song. I like that. So he says, Peace. This is a verse I want to key in. And you know, the, we saw the screen, we saw the video, and he said so much about peace in there. And I don't want to duplicate all of that. But peace is an interesting word. And when we get into the service this morning, I believe some of you are going to get a gift of peace today. As so it came into the service today, and all across our locations, I. I really believe that today there's people here in every location that you are dealing with anxiety, you're dealing with depression, dealing with worry, dealing with addiction, and today God wants to give you a gift of peace. This was the announcement. Yes, the announcement was Jesus, but Jesus would bring with him peace here on earth now. Interesting to me because I looked up the statistics and since re- we've kept history, general recorded history, says that only, we understand that only 8% of the time, the only 8% of the whole time that we've been keeping track of things, only 8% of the time has the world been entirely at peace. In over 3,100 years, only 286 of those years have been warless, and 8,000 treaties have been broken in that time. Lack of peace is ordinary. Peace is extraordinary. And Jesus came to bring peace. When Jesus came, the angel said, Peace on earth. As Jesus was marching with his disciples, sitting on a donkey one week before he was killed, you know what the crowd said? Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Luke 19, 38. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. It's almost like full circle. Jesus came, brought peace. He says, I'm going back. I'm going back to the Father. There's two parts to peace that we forget about. There's But I want you to hear this clearly today. This extraordinary message is not just for a future time. It's also for now. I also want you to know it's not just for now. It's also for a future time. Peace is extraordinary. We don't see it enough. But it is a gift that God wants to give you today. It was announced that peace on earth, here on earth, now. I love that it says it's on earth. So he says peace. Peace was a... As we saw in the video peace is an interesting thing and one of the usage one of the ways people used peace in Jesus day is they would wish you peace in fact twice at least two times when Jesus healed somebody the very next thing he said to them remember what the video said that peace talks about completeness and wholeness after he healed them after he healed the woman in Luke chapter 7, verse 50, he said, Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Luke chapter 8, verse 48. This is the woman who had been suffering with, uh, with hemorrhaging for 12 years. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Jesus wants us to know that, we, that his peace brings us completeness, associates peace with healing completes, fills, makes it a... The word translated peace, as we saw in the video, can mean peace, but it also meant prosperity, well-being, completeness. Not just the absence of turmoil. William Hendrickson is... Or sorry, uh, the Lexham analytical lexicon of the Septuagint, what is that a name, that's obviously an academic book that nobody else reads, <laughs> defines, defines peace, the Greek word for peace is peace, prosperity, success, welfare, state of health, friendliness, deliverance, salvation. There's actually a pretty close connection between the, the, the Jewish concept of peace and the concept of salvation. They go together. And they're both gifts to us, not something we earn. Shalom, the word that, again on the video, is literally a gift, literally means a gift from Yahweh. It has both present and eschatological, do you know what I mean? I say eschatological, end times, future meaning in it so it means now but it also means in the future so here's where i want to come and go with this peace world without peace but jesus comes and said here's peace he's coming with peace for here on earth but who's it for who's it for they scripture is interesting because depending on which translation you read and which translation we read it 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 reads peace on earth to whoever has God's favor. The NASB says, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Luke, in uh, the New Revised Standard Version, it says, glory to God in the highest on earth peace among those whom he favors. Luke chapter two fourteen in the modern English version says, glory to God in the highest and on earth Peace and goodwill toward men. We've heard that, and it kind of, when you read it, it's almost like there's this little clause in here. God's going to give peace, but only if He likes you. <laughs> don't read like that. Peace on earth to all who have God's favor. It, it, to me, that would almost seem like a truism. Like, of course, if I have God's favor, I have peace. <laughs> like that should be like, yeah, automatic. Right. And so, if you don't have God's favor, you don't have peace. That's actually not what it says. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I of mean, Fred Craddock, he wrote a commentary on Luke. He, he said the better way to translate this is on earth, peace among all humankind with whom God's pleased." Wow. Do, do you remember the story of creation? Yeah. The six days of creation after God created something, what did he say every day? God looked at it and said, it's good. He created the heavens and the earth, good. He created the water, good. He created the fish, good. Those well, of you like fishing, he said, good, good. And he, 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 he created the animals, good. He created humankind in his image and said, good. See, God never changed the fact that he looks on humanity with love and compassion. Peace is not just for the special few the, the the chosen few, it's for those who are human. Yeah, Any ordinary humans in the room today? Any ordinary humans in, in a location today? Yeah, peace is for ordinary humans. And, of course, then he said, it's not just peace to humans, it's peace on earth. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times as church people, we... We kind of qualify our experience with God by saying, you know what? One day in heaven it will all be okay. It will be all okay in heaven. But that's not all of the promise. And let's not just defer all of our blessings. Let's not just defer all of our peace. Let's consider that some of it was intended, as the Bible says, as a down payment deposit for now. So let's get some peace Now, and let's believe that God has peace for us now, not just then. Peace on earth, not just in heaven. I love what Isaiah 26 verse 3 says. You'll keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. by the name of Jack Hayford some of you who are kind of more my age or close will remember the name Jack Hayford or if you grew up in church Jack Hayford was a pastor of a church in Van Nuys California they called it the church on the way passed away a couple years ago Jack Hayford was a was loved and respected around all different uh, denominations as part of the charismatic movement he built a lot of bridges between churches and he talks about peace, the shalom. And he, and he says about this passage. And I heard Dr. Hayford in person a few times, and he was a funny guy and had a big impact on my life personally. But he, he said this. He said Hebrew, in the Hebrew, what it says here, you'll keep him in perfect peace. It actually says shalom, shalom. Peace, peace. That's the biblical way, if you ever notice you're reading the Bible and, and something gets repeated, that's actually the way that God uses to emphasize something. Instead of putting an exclamation mark, he says it twice. And, and, and so here he says, he says, by shalom, shalom, it's the Hebrew method of putting great emphasis on a word. You will keep him in everything the word shalom implies. I love that. Everything the word shalom implies. Completeness wholeness, peace, restoration of brokenness. It's all there. And the word, all all that it implies health, happiness, well-being, peace. And the word translated mind, this is cool. The word translated mind is not the usual Hebrew word, but rather it's a word meaning creative imagination. Isaiah's thought is that he whose creative imagination the seat of plans and ideas, the place where all our hopes and our dreams come from, that that would be founded on God, that that would be founded on the aether- eternal Lord with shalom in all of its implications. That place where my dreams come from, that place where my hopes come from, trace where I, that place where I believe. You know, in some way, The Christmas carol, Silent Night, is a bit of a misnomer. Especially that part where it talks about baby Jesus and it says, sleep in heavenly peace. That had to be written by a frazzled mother. (laughs) Please sleep in heavenly peace because there's no peace down here. God's promise to us isn't just heavenly peace. The message of Jesus coming in that manger in an ordinary home, in an ordinary environment is not heavenly peace. It's peace for you today. Peace for every one of us today. It's not just for the future. It's for peace today. In Romans chapter, or Vance Havner, single pastor who pastored his whole life, number of churches single, he wrote this, he said, or he said this, he said, peace is not packaged in pills. Sometimes when we deal with our anxieties, our depression, doctors tell us that the pill is the answer. A pill is the answer. I'm not down on that. But I'm saying, don't let the pill be where peace comes from. There's something bigger than that. There's something more than that. There's something for you today. There's peace today. Not just peace when I get my prescription, but peace today. Romans chapter 14, verse 17. I'm going to close with this. It says, Romans 14, 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Lord. Kingdom of God is about peace. On a day over 2,000 years ago, some angels showed up to some ordinary blue-collar workers in a field and said, We've got some good news for you. Peace is coming because the kingdom's on its way. And we want you to go to an ordinary house where there's a baby born under very ordinary circumstances. And we'll let you in on a little secret. He holds a title higher than the emperor. He holds a calling higher than any ruler of our world. And he's coming